Welcome. Together, we're going to explore our personal finances and figure out how to improve them. Whether you're just getting started in life on your finances, or you may already have a home and a car payment, and you're struggling to get credit cards under control, or you're getting a later start in life on saving for retirement, ReducedDebtIncreasedWealth.com is a podcast to educate those to improve personal finances whether it's eliminating debt or making smart investments. So let's now get started. Last episode, read an article about DIY do-it-yourself plan, a debt reduction plan. I feel that you got yourself into debt all by yourself. Why can't you get yourself out of debt all by yourself? Why should you pay a debt counselor or go to a company that specializes in debt cancellation. That debt cancellation will cost you 15 to 20% of the debt they're cancellating. How, how's that going to help you? You could better put that money towards paying down debt, strictly my opinion. I just want to make that point. That was last episode. So I'm going to talk more about my plan or your plan, what you should be doing. First of all, your plan should be to reduce your debt as quickly as possible, least expensive as possible. The least expensive as possible, what I'm referring to, is not paying somebody else to do it for you. Not paying for a debt cancellation service. Not paying for an attorney to file bankruptcy, unless it's really bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about those people who just got some out-of-control debt, You got there by yourself, you qualified for that debt, so you should be able to pay that debt off. Now, unless a major event happened in your life, such as unemployment or medical-related issues, you shouldn't need to file bankruptcy or do any of those other things. You should be able to take care of it. It's just a matter of getting your spending under control. And those are the people I'm reaching out to. So your plan, or the plan that I think, you got two major accounts that you use, your checking account and your savings account. The idea is to minimize all your payments on all your debt. That way you can look forward and pay your necessities, such as, you know, your mortgage, housing, food, clothing, things that you actually need to pay on the monthly basis. Then if you look forward one or two pays, farther forward you look, the better idea you have about your expenses coming up. So you look forward to figure out how much discretionary income you have this particular pay period. You then take that money and transfer it to your savings account. Now remember, the savings account, you can only make six withdrawals a month. That's, uh, that's federal guideline rules. That's not the bank, that's the federal, F-D-I-C-A. Six withdrawals a month, month, keep that in mind. Cannot use your savings account, you know, put the money in there this week and take it out next week or put it in on payday and take it out on Monday and stuff like that. So that's the idea. You want to pay down your debt as quickly as possible. You want to incur the least amount of expenses as possible. You want to look at what you're spending money on 
and try to negotiate new terms, try to get better plans for everything across the board. And I've had articles that I put out there that pretty much tells you the same thing. But today I haven't found an article of the three accounts you need. I found this article, usatoday.com, personal finance. Here are the three accounts you need to manage your money and give yourself financial security by Adam Shell, special to USA Today. When it comes to personal finances, sticking to the basis can do wonders for your bottom line. And that means making sure you have all the must-have financial accounts to manage all your household money needs five minutes from now or in 2050. A few accounts are critical for financial security and well-being, and every American should have them, says Michael Gerstmann, CEO of Dallas-based financial planning firm Gerstmann Financial Group. Here's a list of accounts financial advisors say you need. Keep in mind that each serves a different purpose, such as savings for an emergency or building a retirement nest egg. It's also important to know that each account becomes more valuable and useful to you and your family when they work in tandem. Think of these accounts as key links in a chain. And if every link is intact, your personal finances will be much far sturdier. Number one, savings account emergency fund. Having a little money squirreled away that you can access quickly in the event of an emergency or temporary job loss is basic building block of personal finance. A savings account is necessary for the accumulation of wealth as well as for housing an emergency fund in the event of an unexpected expense that hasn't been budgeted for, said Gersman, adding that how much you should save depends on your personal situation. A money market account, he says, can be a good alternative to a savings account as they often pay a higher rate of interest. But you want to make sure the money in a savings account is as accessible as possible, says Christina Elster, founder of financial website The Venue. Many savings accounts and money market accounts, she points out, typically limit withdrawals to six per month. A rule of thumb is set aside three to six months worth of living expense, says Ken Maloney, CEO of Maloney Assets Management. Having a peace of mind that you're able to keep up with the bills or pay for car or home repairs when an emergency strikes will allow you to focus on other key parts of your financial life, he says. One more thing, resist the temptation to tap your emergency fund unless it's necessary. Don't be dipping into it to pay for drinks on the weekend, Maloney says. Tip. People should have a plan in place that allows them to put a certain percentage of each check into savings, says Gersman. This can ideally be done through direct deposit. Set it and forget it. Number two, checking account. Everyone needs an account that money flows into and out of on a regular basis. A place where your paycheck can be direct deposited and you can use to pay the monthly bills. An account that you can access easily by mobile, app, phone, ATM, or visiting a bank branch. A checking account fits the bill. Checking accounts are built to be cash flow manager, Elser says. These accounts also allow you to record transactions that you can reference later in the event of a dispute or you need proof of payment was made, Elser adds. 
If you set up direct deposit of your paychecks, many banks will waive fees, she adds. Tip. Low fees and convenience should be paramount, Gerstmann says. With the advent of virtual banks and online banking, it's pretty simple to accomplish these objectives. Number three, retirement savings account. Retirement accounts like 401ks and IRAs are the the places you park cash for the long haul and receive tax break from the government to do so. This is not money earmarked for emergencies or to build a down payment on a house you want to purchase in a year or two. These accounts are for the future, Elser says. These should not be trading accounts. Structure the account to fund your long-term goals, not your short-term whims. Both 401ks and IRAs allow your money to grow tax-free. Traditional versions let you sock away before tax dollars and make you pay tax upon withdrawal. Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks, by contrast, are funded with after-tax dollars but offer tax-free withdrawals. There is a huge tax benefit to these plans, Gerstmann says. This is a huge benefit. The downside to retirement savings account is you could be subject to early withdrawal penalties and tax payments if you access the money before IRS-designated cutoff ages. Retirement savings plan benefit from your money growing and then earning interest on prior gains or, or, or earning interest on interest, a concept known as compound interest. Your personal retirement account is an income stream to tap into retirement in addition to Social Security or an employer-funded pension if you work at a company that still pays out a traditional pension. When you retire, Maloney says, you don't want to rely on Social Security. Tip. These counts should be funded on autopilot via regular payroll deduction or symptomatic withdrawals from checking accounts to make them effortless, Elser says. For people contributing to an IRA, Determine at the beginning of the year how much you like to contribute, divide that by 12 months, and make that contribution each month, Gerstmann says. For those who've already set up these three must-have accounts listed above, here are a few more accounts to consider. Cash value life insurance policy. This type of insurance not only has a death benefit, but also builds equity in the form of cash value. I consider cash value life insurance to be the Swiss army knife of your financial portfolio, Gersman says. This is the most underrated asset that I've seen. This type of insurance can be used for short-term cash needs, such as an emergency fund, he says, but can also be used as a retirement supplement plan. When you tap the cash value of the policy, there are no penalties or any requirements to pay it back, Gersman says. The death benefit, though, is reduced by the amount of cash taken out, he says. Mobile payment account for per convenience and to provide a fill-in when small businesses don't take credit cards. Mobile payments account like PayPal or Venmo provide a useful role, says Elser of the, the FinU. Brokerage account. These funds allow you to invest without withdrawal restrictions that come with retirement accounts. They also provide a place to invest money that's not needed for the short term or targeted towards retirement. Brokerage account are a sweet spot for the goals about five years out or to fund short-term accounts where they, when they are needed, Elser says. They give you the ability to earn higher returns on your money than you would in a savings or checking account. Very good article. It stressed the point that I made. You need a savings account for your emergency fund. 
and you need to build up your emergency fund at least one month's worth of expenses. I say expenses, some people say income. I say expenses because that's what you'll need to pay out. That could be more than one month's worth of income. Two, a checking account where you keep track of everything you're paying. You actually record things so that if you have a dispute on a payment in the future, you can go back and look, one, did I pay it? Two, Yes, I did. When did I pay it? And how much did I pay? So you have some evidence of your bills that you're paying to prove to somebody if they would dispute that you didn't pay it or not. And then the third account, which I mentioned slightly off and on, is a retirement account. A 401k. If you don't have a 401k or retirement account through your work, you should have a traditional IRA set up where you're putting the money in there yourself. The yearly the amount you're allowed to put in is six thousand a year. Yeah, you want might want to check with your tax advisor to make sure that that's correct. And depending on if you're over, I think it's fifty-five, you can put in an extra thousand dollars. So that would be seven thousand a year if you're over fifty-five. Those are your three must-have accounts. The other accounts at the end of that article, a brokerage account, the life insurance, those are if you don't have problems with your debt. All your credit cards are paid off. You got your debt under control. You're building up excess money. The excess money meaning it's more than what you would need to have in your emergency fund. Then you could invest it through a brokerage account. I've talked about that in past episodes. I would recommend a robo uh, brokerage account first until you get more money in there. And then once you get twenty-five or 30000 in investments, and then I would seek out a financial advisor because they can keep track of it a lot faster. They can make sure you're diversified. They spread it across all the market segments. So if there's a down, there's not really a great hurt. And if there's a big up, you don't really have a big gain. But again, when there's a down, you don't get nailed. That's more about my plan. You got to keep at it. It's not a, you know, six month thing that you do and you're done. It's uh, ongoing the rest of your life. (laughs) It's like a lifestyle change, if nothing else. But you could get all your credit card debt paid off in, say, two years. Depending how bad it is, it could be less. And then you can start working on other loans such as auto loans or line of credit against your house and then again your first mortgage. Right now that's where I am. I'm starting my fourth year and I got my auto, my last auto loan will be paid down to zero within 30 days. I'll start working on my first mortgage and that will be paid off within the next 10 to 11 months. So by the end of 2020, I'll be debt-free, and then I will definitely be aggressive in saving money and building up my my my, uh, my retirement accounts. Keep in mind, and since the number one debt most people have is credit cards, I got a couple articles about the credit cards coming up next. Now a quick word from my sponsor, Isotonic. Isotonic is a vitamin. It's a way you take a vitamin. It's how your body is built to take vitamins with Isotonic. 
rapidly absorbed by the body, highly concentrated of vitamins and minerals, and maximum results. I've been taking isotonic vitamins for the last six years, and I rarely get sick. I highly recommend taking isotonic vitamins. With standard tablets, you have minimal absorption and diluted nutrients. I take the Daily Essential Kit, which is all the Daily Essential vitamins that you need for your body on a daily basis. Go to my website, ReduceDebtIncreaseWealth.com. Upper right-hand corner, click on the heart. Go to the website. Let us show you the future of vitamins. This article, CreditCards.com. Eight Things You Must Know About Credit Card Debt by Erica Sandberg. Summary. Credit card debt is not inevitable. Here are some basic credit guidelines to keep you out of debt. Despite what you hear about credit cards, getting into overwhelming debt with them is not inevitable. In fact, millions of credit customers charge regularly and never pay a penny on finance charges or other fees. Here's how you can, you too can use plastic to your advantage. 1. You don't have to owe. It's entirely possible to use credit cards regularly and stay out of debt forever. How? By charging what you can afford to pay when the bill arrives. Use credit cards as a payment tool, not as a revolving debt instrument. To make this pay method work, you got to track charges and cash flow. 2. Know when short-term loans make sense. Sometimes fi financing a purchase with a credit card is prudent, as long as the re repayment time frame is short. For example, let's say you want $1,500 worth of living room furniture, but don't have the cash to pay for it immediately. If you charge the items to a credit card with an 18% interest rate and cover the balance in four months, the finance fees would just total just $57, not a bad deal. If you stretch it out over two years, however, you pay an extra $300, quite a markup. 3. Owing is easy, repaying is hard. Without careful attention, sinking into overwhelming debt is remarkably easy. When cardholders start out, their credit card limit is usually low. Over time, it typically rises, which makes overcharging tempting. Paying down debt is difficult because the, as the balance climbs, the interest compounds and payments increase. With funds promised to pass spending, less money is available for current and future expenses. 3. Debt affects your credit score. Not only is it wise to remain debt-free for your own bottom line, holding on to a high balance negatively impacts your credit score. To maintain a high score, your account balance must be under 30% of your available credit limit, says Lucy Dunny, a consultant that works with TransUnion. And many personal finance experts advise keeping your credit utilization as close to zero as you can. Timely payments are also vital. If you fall behind and skip the billing cycle, your, your creditor will report the delinquency after 60 days to three major credit reporting bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, and your score will drop nosebleed. Miss more payments and you see a dramatic downturn in your credit score. And these negative marks don't 
off your credit report for a full seven years. 5. Develop a repayment plan. Even if you're in deep, you can probably climb out of debt with a commitment and a plan. Norman Purenutter, author of How to Settle Your Debts, suggests going into crisis money management mode. Limit spending to basic needs to free up cash to pay down debt. Ask creditors if they reduce your your card's interest rates. Prioritize payments by interest rates. Pay the high interest balances first. Suspend charging while in repayment mode. 6. Can't make a payment? Ask for help. While your credit card company is under no obligation to accept less than a minimum requested payment, do not fear. Try to work with your credit card company to work out payment arrangements, urged Letta Epstein, author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Improving Your Credit Score. If that's unsuccessful, work with credit counselor from the National Foundation for Credit Counselor Counseling to come up with repayment plans, she says. 7. Settle cautiously. Want to settle your credit card debt for less than the actual balance? It's possible, but you need to offer a lump sum, and most creditors require borrowers to be at least a few months behind. Arranging such a deal on your own is best, as companies that facilitates often charge a substantial fee and aren't very replicable. Still, settlements should only be attempted after less radical steps to eliminate the debt fail, as they result in substantial credit damage and tax problems. Forgiven debt is often reported as taxable income, says Pearl Nutter, and unless it results from bankruptcy or your debts are greater than your assets, when you make the settlement, you'll have to pay tax on it. 8. You can't go to jail for non-payment, but if you're worried about spending time behind bars for not paying your credit card debt, no, there's no debtor's prison in the United States. However, there are other legal repercussions of which you shall be aware. A creditor can sue you in a court of law, and if they win a judgment, they may be able to garnish your wages or take non-exempt property and assets. Living debt-free is within every cardholder's capability. The key is to always be aware of charging imbalances and address credit problems immediately. Some very good points in that article. One, you should be using a credit card as cash. That was number one. Don't carry a balance. So and a lot of people do that, according to that lady in the article. I think the maybe the older generation is more prone to doing that. Higher income, maybe the children, you know, empty nesters. So they have the money to do it. But if you're going to use a credit card, treat it like cash. Even if you don't have the cash to pay right away, put it in your budget. Make sure that if you buy that $1,500 worth of furniture, that it gets paid off in four months, that example. Crisis mode. There's a gentleman there, Nutter, forget his name. Uh, talk, go, if you get behind on your credit cards and you start building up a balance, go into crisis mode. I call that debt planning mode. Same thing. Reduce your expending. Only spend what you have to. Try to get the best deals and everything you possibly can. Have everything in your budget. Know what you, what expenses are coming up in the forward. 
So you know how much you can pay on that credit card. Or if you have an emergency fund, you might be able to borrow from your emergency fund, say, half of that $1,500. And then you can pay off the other half, $750, and then put it back into your emergency fund. Pay yourself instead of the credit card. That's what I like doing. I'd rather be paying myself first and not to credit cards because they're going to charge you interest. Where if you have a high-yield interest savings account, you can be making a little bit of interest. With that said, in the future years coming up, way the government's been spending money lately, inflation could start kicking in, which means interest on savings account could be going up. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just, government spends a lot of money. The economy is shut down. It's ripe for inflation to start kicking in. It may not. So that's all I have to say about that. Don't use a debt counselor unless you absolutely have to. Don't use a debt cancellation service unless you absolutely have to. Try doing it yourself first. But if you use a debt cancellation service, you got to remember that all the debt that's forgiven becomes taxable income on your income tax return. You will get a 1099 uh, form from your uh, lender, and they're going to report that to the IRS. They're going to expect to see that in your income tax return, so that's going to increase your taxes. You really don't want to do that either. I just thought I'd throw that out there again. You could check with your tax advisor if you don't believe that. That's the end of another episode. I hope you found it useful. And if you'd like to share this episode with your friends, please do so. I'm open for any suggestions for improvement or for information that you would like to talk about in future episodes. You can go to my Facebook page and leave me a message. I'm more than glad to comply. To find my Facebook page, go to ReducedDebtIncreasedWealth.com and click on the Facebook icon to go to my Facebook website.